Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lampert, and we are Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way, underlined, hard way. What works and what doesn't? Our podcast is different. We use a conversational format to help share the experiences that only people who've been there and done that can provide, as we've been pushing the envelope on the profession for over a decade. And today on this show, we are going to discuss sales enablement defined. And as usual, we're going to start with a centering story to give our episode a theme. Scott, take it away. Thank you, Brian. And I think you're going to like this, Brian. This is a very, very modern story for some of the stories that we've been talking about. Oh, really? Did yeah. we move up? Do we move up a different century yet? This story starts in 1933. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> we moved out of the 1800s. Nice. Yes. There we go. I know. How about that for modernization? In 1933, uh, the United States Congress passed the Securities Act. And what I'd like you to do is go back in the way, way back machine and have some context. This is the time of the Great Depression. If you remember what happened, one of the starting points of the Great Depression was the stock market decline of, uh, to, of 1929. And one of the things that was happening is that those stocks that people were buying weren't really regulated. So you didn't really know whether the information was accurate or not. So the 1933 mm -hmm. Securities Act put down a and established the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, which also empowered them to audit and oversee and even send people to jail for fraud on the stock market. Mm -hmm. So that's what led to it. The, the next thing that happened in 1939, general accounting principles started. So basically what generally accounting principles are is that's the rules of which you organize or store uh, financial data that gets logged into your business report, the business reporting, the financial reports, the, uh, the balance sheet, the income statement, all of those things started back in 19, standard, got standardized back in 1933 with this SEC Act, but then the rules to make sure that you follow them and standardize all that, that started in 1939. So to, to bring that all to fruition, today, in well, 1939, the idea of a chief financial officer was not very common. Today, the idea of a chief financial officer is almost, it's, it's almost, um, you can't even separate the idea of not having them. So one of the things that uh, has led to the powerful rise of a, of a CFO is they actually have this, this construct, this, these rules to follow, more or less like a lingua franca. And if it weren't for that, it'd be hard to say that uh, the CFO would have evolved 
because that role was uh, just a bookkeeping function. Yeah, that's a good point on the history of, of that evolution to think from bookkeeper to CFO. But again, um, <laughs> what the heck does that have to do with uh, sales enablement? So Insider Nation, I hope, we, hope you're getting the gist that we always have some sort of weird or, or interesting plug-in. And the reason that this matters is because you've heard Brian and I talk a lot about a charter. You've heard us uh, talking about that, but you don't have a core foundation to stand on. It's really hard to elevate your role. And that's really what we're, what we're talking about here is uh, we, we, there are a lot of discussions about definitions and why you're defining things. Our, our lens, when we set out to defining sales enablement, was really more foundational. It's not, does it sound the right way? Because I, I can guarantee you, if you go and read um, the SEC's definition of what revenue is, it's not a good read. <laughs> it's not simple or elegant or beautiful or accessible or explains what an accountant's job does. It's a very utilitarian, utilitarian definition to set a foundation to provide standards. It's hard to blog that, I'm sure, too, that definition. Yes, it, it, <laughs> it, it is a tough blog because it, it's an incredibly tough read. But yeah. the reason that that exists that way is because it must be precise. So that's really the, the essence of how we started about um, uh, uh, defining sales enablement when we, when we were at Forrester. And the foundation for everything that we, we worked on was that definition. And it has a lot of principles behind it with the idea of building as a foundation to build a function up, up on top of it. Yeah. And I remember, you know, you kept saying the, the key here is to get it right. And we're going to talk about how we did it. And yes, we're going to go over that definition on here. But, you know, I need to, I, I feel like right now, this is a bit of a, let, let, let me challenge you on this, right? Like one, we, we said we weren't going to necessarily redefine it um, and then t on the show. And two, we've said, listen, it's, it's not about a definitional debate. We're not going to engage in that. And, and now, now here we are, right? So, um, and the reason why I, I wanted to, to bring that up is it's interesting to me that over the course of the last two conferences that I was at, that this, the definition that we put together in 2008 has shown up on, you know, the main stage screen. And, and you know, even, even your name is in Forrester have been used as this is the definition and that I like, et cetera. But why, why are we on this podcast doing this? Why do you think it's important to, to restate what we've already stated 10 years ago? Well, I think there's a bunch of reasons why. There are many definitions out there. It's very confusing. And the reason that we're doing it for Insider Nation, it's, it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, Brian, you and I started this podcast because we saw a big giant hole in uh, sales enablement conversations for more, from a more strategic lens. And as we started this, more people have been reaching out and a lot of people have been reaching out saying, hey, you know, I'm glad you guys are doing this. I've been really leveraging that old sales enablement definition. Uh, and I was actually in Chicago uh, at, at, a, at a meeting and um, the executive team had this definition and they had it, had it written up. So we haven't built on this thing in a long time. And the company that owned, had owned this intellectual property has now quote, discarded it in replacement of another one that's maybe more 
better sounding or, you know, more well-written. Mm -hmm. But really the goal here is it's not an issue to debate definitions and it's, 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 a, it's a conversation to say, we tried to lay foundations with this. And we wanna talk about those foundations because those foundations are what separate most of the people who are running sales enablement as units of one and the sales enablement leaders who have strategic departments. So what yeah. we thought we would do is say, just as if you are interested in promoting and elevating your role, let's follow the game plan that uh, accounting went through to become CFOs. They had a foundation that they built from, so we wanted to talk. We wanted to lay that foundation. We think that's relevant here for inside sales enablement and uh, insider nation. Yeah, and let me let me state the obvious. You know, we're sticking to the definition that we wrote in two thousand eight. Exactly. You know, we're not changing it. We're not redefining it. We're sticking with it. And we think it's even more relevant today than it was back then. And we're going to state it again. And uh, here we go. You know, let's talk about why we did it, how we went about it, what the actual definition is, and who, who it's for. So let's start with why, why we defined it, Scott. All right. So why do we, why do we find it? So the first, the first lens is we made an observation that there is a gap between the go-to-market strategy or even the business strategy of a company and how it executes. So that, that was the observation that, that we laid. Then when we looked at that, when we looked at and examined that business problem, what did we do is based on that, based on that gap, we tried to define what should be in the middle there to bridge that gap. And that's really where we came up with the idea of sales enablement. The idea being go-to-market is about uh, interacting with customers. Uh, we were thinking about sales, aka meaning revenue or bookings, not sales, the sales force. And enablement is to make sure we're enabling the execution of that strategy and profitable growth. That was the lens that we had. So that's why we created it and we didn't see any work in that space. And we, you know, frankly, Brian and I still haven't been, seen any work in that space. Yeah. And also to piggyback on the, the why, uh, to drill, drill a little bit deeper on that is I, I actually think uh, the gap is getting bigger. Um, that the gap between go to market and the expectations that customers have continues to widen. Yeah, and uh, so I think that I, I agree with you. And I think the reason that it's widening is really because of the whole digital economy that we're in. Uh, what you know, you've got businesses, we've talked about some of this before, but we you've got businesses who were office furniture companies, and they are now becoming space optimization businesses, because of this whole digital world. So I think that that is one of the driving forces that is illuminating or accelerating that gap between strategy and execution. And most companies don't have what Brian and I like to call an execution fabric to, to tie all those, those pieces together. Yeah, and, and to that end, uh, execution is extremely problematic, right? So we're not going to get into that. But, you know, uh, what I would say is we can't let the idea of product marketing or, or, or messaging or demand gen or even sales enablement trump the idea of execution. Right. You know, execution is the most important thing here. That's right. And let's figure out back then we had this debate, what needs to fill that gap? Because silos are not getting us there and sales conversations are suffering. 
what might that look like? How might we go about defining that? So let's let's pivot there. You know, how, how let's explain how we went about um, defining that. Did we lock ourselves in a conference room and write it? Make it yeah, look good. Yeah. So, so the sequence of events were, and this is where the um, you know sort of the discipline of of research and why I would recommend all of you before you pick a definition that you use, go and find out what's behind it. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it is good. So the way that we went about doing it is we first shopped this observation, right? So if, I'm sorry if I'm going to sound like uh, dusting off um, past memories of high school, but if it's the sci scientific method is you start with an observation. So we had the observation of a, a gap between strategy and execution. And then what you do before you develop a hypothesis is you get some reviews. So we interviewed executives based on that observation from companies like Accenture, BMC, Computer Associates, or CA, uh, Citrix, CSC, Dell, HP, IBM, NetApp, Oracle, SAP, and Symantec. And what we did there is say, is this, uh, is this phenomenon that we're observing something that you're observing too? So we went and confirmed that hypothesis. So the, 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 the confirmation was yes, that occurred. Then we went and looked at financial reports and pulled out some trends of other businesses that were happening. So we pulled out examples of CEOs and from annual reports that highlight, that provide proof points of this gap. So we saw that executives are focusing on pragmatic profitable growth, uh, continuing to retool the sales engine, eliminating waste, uh, trying to drive differentiated at the point, at the point of sale, transforming rep seller behavior outside of their comfort zone were all trends that we saw way back in 2008. Do they sound familiar today, Brian? Yes, they definitely do. Um, so it's down the same. They're actually getting more heightened and, and new business models are actually emerging to tackle those things. And then, you know, too, when you rattled off the list of those companies, those companies have evolved and they're still uh, around and, and some have, have been on the ropes you know, but, but they, they've all gone through some sort of evolution. And I think that was a good sample set there um, to, to use, right? You, you, 10 years later, these companies are still, still respected and they've gone through their own evolutionary change. So the second thing that we did to confirm the observation was maybe it makes sense to get a buyer's viewpoint of the gaps between execution. This is all before defining it. This is the work that we did before that. So what we did is because we're Forrester, well, geez, we already have access to buyers. So I just interviewed some, actually many. Uh, and here's some of the trends that we observed. Buyers are stratifying their suppliers into a cast system. We saw many, many, many efforts underway. Actually, there were many people at Forrester that do vendor analysis and the like and saw a lot of vendor consolidations. Actually, real strategic programs to move people into procurement. Uh, another one is that buyers are differentiating among vendors based largely on their engagement strategy. In other words, what we found is that buyers prefer to work with, uh, work with the companies based on the way that the sellers engage with them, not what their products and services are. That's a myth. That was, we found that to be a myth, that the branding is the preference or the price point was the preference. Another thing that the, the third observation that we found in engaging with those buyers is that they rarely find value from conversations that they have with vendor salespeople. 
As a matter of fact, the data that we had at the time was less than uh, 15% of executives found that their inter interactions with sellers was valuable. So what, we're, what that held us to, to make, ask the question is, if these, are, if these things are going on, that the buyers aren't really valuing it, companies are spending a tremendous amount of money, something's, something's gotta give. So yeah, and when you and when you look at that, um, the buyer side that you mentioned, the cast system that we're going to differentiate based on how how people engage with us and and this idea of uh, relevant conversations and what that looks like. I think there's been fuel put on that that fire um, on the buyer side. You know, you hear, you've got challenger sale now, challenger buyer. But, you know, more importantly, you have this idea that um, buyers uh, and the people involved are are really having a hard time making decisions, you know, 6.2 people are involved. Um, this idea of uh, the caste system is becoming, uh, you know, bipolar, if you will, or, 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 you know, two groups now, instead of multiple groups, you, there's either that you're in a transactional sales pattern or buying pattern and you're, or you're in a highly consultative one. And, and, and the middle ground is, is hard to occupy. So, so I think, I, I think you're right. So, you know, going back to the scientific method of where we were, right. It was, we have this observation about a gap between strategy and execution. Then we did the, did the research to see whether it's true. So we talked to people if that was a valid thing. Then we looked at financial reports and, um, um, and earnings calls to, to get some data there. We collected data from buyers and then we went back into, into inside the resident companies and made observations there. And those observations really uh, came up with this observation of random acts of sales support underlying, this, underlying the ability to execute. So we found that uh, uh, companies are spending 15.9% of their SG&A on stuff to enable sales conversations. Uh, we found that the fragmentation of these efforts confuse customers. We found that uh, because of that, con because that information is all over the place, it creates an organizational drag. I'm wondering if all of the different definitions of sales enablement that haven't been thoughtful are those the are is that's what's driving a lot of this activity that we're being so focused on getting something out the door and not worrying about making it uh, making it coordinated that that's creating more of the problem. I don't know. Well, if you, again, if you look at today, um, worker productivity continues to go down in the United States. SG&A, we, we haven't done the analysis. I don't know if, if you have, Scott, in, in other areas, but SG&A investments either are holding or they're continuing to, to increase, is my guess. I don't know if you've done any of that research on the current SG&A trends, but you know, I'm still seeing money being thrown at the the the, the idea here to, to drive revenue. So I think that, that, that continues to, to be a, a challenge. Well, here's the thing that, that's most shocking to me. So we, we calculated based on a model that we use to assess what spending is in sales enablement. And keep in mind, our, our point of view of sales enablement spending is anything that's meant to go to, to support sellers. So it just because I'm not saying this isn't, if your sales enablement budget is the sales training and the sales kickoff, I'm not count, I'm not I'm counting you, but I'm also counting all of the content assets. I'm also counting the demand generation. There's many, many, many things that 
to me, if it's money that's sales facing, that's a sales enablement spend, period. Now, given that back at the time, we, we calculated that it's $135,000 per rep per year. Well, I actually developed a methodology. You've, you've seen it, Brian, the hidden cost of sales support methodology. And when I've ran that with companies, I've seen that number be as high as $650,000 of sales enablement support each year for, for sellers. Uh, that includes all the overlays that people put on top of things or the bureaucracy that, that they do. Every time you make it where salespeople aren't spending time selling, these costs pick up and add up at a huge level. Yeah, and that's per rep per year. So per rep per year. 635000 per rep per year. That's, per rep per year. Yeah, that can add up. I think if there are any sales managers listening, they'd like to, to get their hands on that money and spend it, spend it perhaps a little bit differently. Should, right, exactly. <laughs> At $600,000 or even $135,000, which our, our analysis was, how much of that should be going to giving raises to sales managers? How much of that, you know, would a, would a top rep say, you know what, I'll take zero enablement and the 135000 bucks and pocket it. Tell you <laughs> what, I'll take a hundred grand pocket it, I'll give you the thirty five back and I'll build on my stuff. <laughs> That's right. Because I can go on Fiverr and they'll do what I want. <laughs> right, exactly. I'll take the $35,000 to build it on Fiverr, right? And then I'll pocket the 135 myself. Oh, it's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. well, I, it's also, I'm getting a little queasy here because, uh, you know, that's a little bit sickening because um, these things have well intentions. People are well intentioned. They want to help sales sell. They just don't know what they don't know. And we're pouring money into it. It's kind of back to our Brooklyn Bridge analogy where you threw head, we threw headcount at the Brooklyn Bridge try to figure out how to overcome the bends. This one is, let's keep throwing money at it. That's right. So let's talk about how we defined it then. So how we defined it is we, we did all that research. We posted all of that information together. So you imagine that putting together in a briefing and we invited executives. Half were CMOs, half were VPs of sales. And we, we gave them that, that overview. Of course, they're like, yep, this is a problem. We haven't addressed it because we can't get sales and market. We, we, we don't have any context. We're, we're trying to focus on how to align. You're asking us to fix a problem. The big difference, a big psychological difference between aligning departments and actually fixing this invisible problem. Mm-hmm. So here's the definition that we arrived at. So the point being, no, we didn't sit in a conference room and pontificate a definition. Uh, this is how, that's the work that went into how we did it. So here it is. Sales enablement is a strategic ongoing process that equips all client facing employees with the ability to consistently and systematically have a valuable conversation with the right set of customer stakeholders at each stage of the customer's problem solving life cycle to optimize the return of investment of the selling system. That was our definition. Yeah, and we'll, we'll have this in the, the write-up and the notes, but you know, just if you're listening, sales enablement, is a, it's strategic, it's ongoing, it equips all client-facing employees, it's consistently and systematically having a conversation with the right set of stakeholders against or with or at each stage of the customer's problem-solving cycle, not, not their buying process, but how they solve problems, in order to return, you know, drive a return, optimize a return on investment of this overall selling system, 
um, which does exist, it's a thing, <laughs> uh, and that, that's the definition. And we're gonna break it down here and walk through it. Well, before we break it down, there's another part to this that is often not factored in. That's because I think it's six pages later. That might be why. <laughs> Well, but it, right, but right. Let's let's do it. Let's because there's an implication if you if you're going to tackle it of what's required. So what's what's required to accomplish this? Right. So the reason that we we broke it down this way is because in working with our executives, there's sort of a sequence of events that goes to goes into it. So sequence of events number one, define for me the business problem. Sequence of events number two, show me the work that led up to it. Sequel. So that was the the buyer research the uh, the, the finance research. Sequence of events number three, highlight the business problem for me. What is this costing us? That's point number three, random access sales enablement and a cost per. Sequence of events number four, define the scope of what it is that you're doing. Tell me what it is. Tell me what this process is that we must do in order to solve that problem. Sequence of events number five, what should we do? So here's the next part of that definition. To accomplish this goal, portfolio, marketing, and sales teams must work cross-functionally to create effective sales content and programs that map to a holistic customer model that are delivered on a common platform. Yeah. Those are the two parts. Those are the two parts. And I would say, um, if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, that is too much, it's too heavy, uh, no, nobody will ever go, go, you know, go for that. I would encourage you to go back and, and re-listen to the front end of this because the goal, the goal of, of this definition is to not make it uh, super digestible into a tagline. The goal of the definition, remember, is this idea of we're moving from bookkeeping to CFO. We have to define through a sequence of events what the problem is and give it an identity so that it can be tackled. This is a indeed a complicated problem and it is indeed, you know, a massive business impact. Yeah, so, let me add to that, Brian. Um, to, to add to that point, the question is, what are you going to use a definition for? If you're gonna use a definition because you wanna put it up to your boss to make a quick decision about what your role should be, well, yes. Yeah, first of all, the reason that this isn't written for that, you wouldn't use it for that, this is, we think that's a piss poor strategy. If you're trying to just say, hey, I'm going to go throw something to you to give you, to, to, you know, to help you understand what I'm doing, the only way anybody's going to be able to understand it is a, through a very narrow scope. So guess what your remit's going to be? Build us sales playbooks, manage the sales training program, and you're always going to be stuck in that um, tactical box. You're yeah. always going to be a plumber. If you treat your role like a plumber, you're going to be a plumber. And, and uh, plumbers are highly technical and they, they put a lot of work into that. But the idea of, hey, I want to be an architect is a, it's a bridge too far. Once you're a plumber, that's really good. Yeah. And I, and I think the other piece of that is important is we're asking our sellers to sell a vision. We're asking our sellers to transform how companies work. We're asking our sellers to sell business results and business outcomes. If in sales enablement, we back off because this is a little bit complicated. That's hypocritical to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I mean, let's tell it like it is. This is that's a bit ridiculous. And you know, are we enabling sales execution or not? And you know what? This definition 
you didn't make it, to, you know, it's not like we sat around and said, how do we make this more complicated? This is too short. Let's make it longer. This Let's set out to show how, how, every, how smart we can be. Yeah. Yeah. That is just doing it to show how smart you are. It's a lot of big words. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, we're getting a little bit emotional on this because <laughs> the, the challenge at, at the time and it continues to be is we're, we're, we're reflecting reality. We're not the ones who made it complicated. This is, this is the, you know, the companies, the organizations going through a transformation to try to close the gap to customers. And there's a lot of money being spent, $70 billion on training development, $62 billion on technology. That's just two buckets. Right. You know, we're talking about, you know, competitiveness of countries and GDPs of countries at some point with exactly. this. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you're also, you're not picking up uh, the, the headcount that goes with it and you're not picking up the content uh, that's spent, the, the money that's spent on content. Right. So, so, you know, rant over, uh, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, t I'll take a deep breath, but I think, you know, if, if, if folks are hanging with us, you know, and, and I, I wanted to get people to resist the urge to, to punch out of this discussion, because now let, let's get a little bit more real around, you know, what, what to do next, because this is not a definition for definition's sake. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think the other point there is, what problem is it that you're trying to solve? The, the definition that we're trying to solve for is the gap between strategy and execution and the poor performance associated with that. That's the problem that we're addressing. That's the problem that we see in pretty much every company that doesn't have a role like this because execution requires cross-functional because it, it, it requires it, it to be done well cross-functionally and there is not a role that exists inside companies that look at this cross-functionally so that's why we're uh why we're so insistent on our perspective so yeah. um where do we want to take this next brian you know i think um let's talk about what the upside is here let's go optimistic and let's say you know for the, you know, one, for those that have adopted this a definition, what's happened to them in their careers? And then two, for companies that have embraced this type of thinking, what's happened to them? Do you have any couple stories that you can share on the, either the individual sure. side so or the corporate let's side? Let's talk about uh, specifically roles. So in terms of roles, the, the people who have been, you know, there's, there's always the, the, the type of folks who dive into something and want to understand it. And there's types of people who read something on, on the surface. The people who have taken this definition and really dove in and uh, focused on the meaning. Well, we typically find them at VP levels and many are now reporting to CEOs because this problem is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, companies that have adapted uh, it, it at scale, I'm thinking of uh, one in particular, you, you remember uh, this company, Brian, uh, one particular company adopted it so well all the way up to the CEO. For their growth strategy, they would select a hand number of accounts and then say to the rest of the industry, if you're not one of these accounts, we're not going after you. Like that's how, it, that's how aggressive they were about it they always hit the hit the number and their profitability and overall revenue growth was always just through the through the roof so the the issue and the statistics behind the execution of this are all really great the difficulty is there isn't a environment to talk like this uh because we're in a 
the, the sales enablement world in a lot of ways is in a, in a um, uh, we're in a bit of a echo operation, chain. Yeah, operational, go do, and our right. value is in doing. It's activity, 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 not what can we do to bend the needle. Yeah. So um, for the Insider Nation, you know, we, we want to talk to you. So uh, inside your organization, it might be difficult to have conversations. Uh, here on this podcast, it's not. Uh, so come join us over here. We'll talk about it, and we'll, we'll bottle it up, and, and we'll be that voice for closing the gap to customers. Not, not because it's cool, sexy, and we want to be VPs, but because, by, you know, by golly, um, sales people need help. And, and that's why Scott and I do what we do. And, you know, uh, you, you might think this is a, a glamorous thing, but it's not sometimes. And, you know, we get, we get uh, the arrows a lot of times for what we're doing. But the, the why behind what we do is to help sale, salespeople be successful and help sales managers really take back what's theirs around being custodians of that sales team. And, right. uh, you know, that's a critical need in, in companies today. And uh, we want to continue those conversations. So how do you get, how you get started in, in thinking like this? Let me give you some three, um, three ideas, right? Idea number one is take this definition, think about it and break it down. So for example, strategic, what does strategic mean? To me, it definitely means having part of the remit about bridging the gap between strategy and execution. So it, it's as simple as like connecting the dots. This is, uh, this is like, uh, this is like Legos. So if that's going to be your remit, then you need to ask yourself, well, who, where, what roles are touching that right now? Where is there room for you to fill in without being confrontational and saying, well, I want, I want product marketing's budget and I want this. That's not a, a good strategy on getting started on this path. A good strategy would be to take inventory of the different parts, figure out the, the, the remits, and then find where the gray area is, then propose you'll fill in the gray area. I like to start as small as possible because once you start finding those linkages and start, doing, start, start collecting the data, you're going to be able to uh, really, really highlight lots of challenges. Step number three, make the CFO or somebody in finance who can help you do the analysis, your friend. Make it quantifiable. That's why we created uh, the hidden cost analysis. That's why we have these, 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 uh, these, uh, these tools and these metrics. It is extremely important to calculate what the cost of random acts enablement are if you're going to want this kind of role. We spend a lot of time talking about uh, stakeholder management, but one of the things that we're not talking about is so okay, stakeholder management. How do we quantify the problem? So three things would be take the definite, you know, take the definition to heart, break it down, but really understand what the um, with the scope of of sales enablement being a bridge between the strategy and execution, and envision what that would look like. Come up with frameworks to talk about it. Step number two, take an inventory of the different gaps in different groups and, and connect the dots. And step number three, make a friend in finance. Quantify it. There you go. And uh, great advice. And, and so let's, let's wrap it up. As always, 
enlightening conversation, Scott. I enjoyed it. I got I got a little bit uh, heated there for a second around the why, but it's just passion, and I think we both have that passion, and it's always good to talk about this. And I, I want to encourage our, our listeners to reach out and continue this conversation. We'll be at the Sales Enablement Society conference where we can talk about some of these things. And you know, for for the the, those that are out there fighting that fight in, in this battle, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your stories and, and examples and also, you know, quite frankly, challenge us on uh, the ability to execute against this. And that's that's how we learn and that's how the, the, the rising tide lifts all boats in my opinion. So thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.